The Jewish Roots of the New Testament. How Jewish is this book anyway? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to the Line of Fire broadcast. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. We are live from Pensacola, Florida. So what you see in the background, if you're watching on Facebook and perhaps later on YouTube, what you see is not our studio. It's not a blue screen. It's a hotel room. But we have our whole setup here. We've got our team of Kai and Matt here and Danny and Jasper back in the studio in North Carolina. So Everything should be coming loud and clear for everyone listening on radio, everyone watching online. Here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. And let me know if you're able to hear the feed that was coming in. Make sure you're able to hear the calls that come through on our Facebook feed today. So let me know as we get going. Again, 866-34-TRUTH for your Jewish related calls. Let me draw your attention to a very serious and intense article that we posted today. It's on our website. It's on stream.org. The Rising Tide of Christian Anti-Semitism. Read it. It's an eye-opener, and it will give you a test of where we are going with our new revised expanded edition of Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, which comes out in a matter of days. Today is the anniversary of the Munich Massacre, September 5th, 1972. A horrific day in Israel's history, a horrific day in world history, and in particular in Olympic history. This is when the entire Israeli Olympic team, 11 members, were killed by radical Islamic terrorists. And... I remember, as a fairly new believer, I was saved less than a year, that the first reports came out. And the first reports were that the terrorists were killed and the Israelis were saved. And I remember one of the brothers saying in the church, God always protects his own. And, and uh, obviously that's not what happened uh, in, in this case. But what struck me was that he was a man who wants to see Jewish people saved who knows how important it is to see Jewish people come to faith, and yet he recognized that there was a special covenantal relationship between Israel and God that remained even when Israelis were lost and in need of the Messiah. Now, there's a side to this story that very few people know, and it's, it's a redemptive side. The lives were lost, that's tragic. The families that were affected, that's tragic. It's all a horrible story. But years later, I was living in Maryland, all right? So, so this was, oh, in the late 80s, early 90s. And I got a call from one of my friends, and he said, Mike, there's, there's a Russian-Israeli Jew that we've been sharing the gospel with, and, and I feel like I've taken him as far as I can. He's got questions. Could you speak with him? I feel like he's really close to receiving the Lord. So I met with this fellow. He was a big, strong-looking man. 
turns out that he was a wrestler and that he had wrestled on the junior Olympics team of Russia. So he wasn't good enough to be on the, the ultimate team, but he wrestled for the junior team. He then moved to Israel, and because Israel's Olympic team was so small that he immediately made the Olympic team. And he was scheduled to be in Munich. He would have been one of the wrestlers on that team. And what happened was he had a dispute with the Israeli Olympics about compensation or housing, whatever it was. I don't remember that detail. And he ended up not going, and someone else took his place. Think of that. Someone else takes your place, and that person ends up dying. Talk about shock. Talk about getting your attention. And the payment difference ended up going to this other wrestler. And when he was killed, this, this man told me that when this wrestler was killed, that in his pocket was the check, just so happened to have the check that the Israeli government had issued to him, which would have gone to this other fellow. So obviously God cares about every individual. Why one life was taken and another life spared, I can't answer that. But this man said he always felt like God had some kind of special purpose for him. He felt that there must be some reason that his life was spared. And it ended up as a result that he came to faith and was beautifully born again. It went through some hardship after, there, after that in his family and with his wife turning away from the Lord. But this man truly came to know God. Anyway, I, I wanted to share that with you, just a, a redemptive story as we remember this tragedy it is, as it is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Again, any Jewish-related questions of any kind, 866-348-7884. Let's refresh our minds about the Jewish roots of the New Testament. Because in so many ways, it's associated with Christianity that we forget that the roots of the faith come from Jewish soil, from Hebrew soil, from Israelite soil. And from there, because of Israel's calling through the Messiah to be a light to the world, that the, the Jewish scriptures and the scriptures of the New Testament now become the scriptures of the whole world. But let's, let's just read from two translations to contrast things. So I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Seems like a good place to start, right? First book of the New Testament. Matthew 1, 1. And I'm going to read from the ESV, which is a fine contemporary English translation. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's how it starts. Abraham is the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now I'm going to read it from the Jewish New Testament. I could also read from the Tree of Life. That's a version that, that we, in fact, when you become a torchbearer, monthly supporter, we send you a beautiful edition of the Tree of Life as a gift. But I'll read here from the Jewish New Testament. So again, Genesis, uh, excuse me, Matthew 1.1, ESV. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. This would sound very similar to other translations, King James, New King James. Others would be similar to this, right? Now let's listen to the Jewish New Testament. This is the genealogy of Yeshua the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Excuse me, son of Avraham. Now, just that slight change, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ versus this is the genealogy of Yeshua the Messiah, automatically it sounds a little different, doesn't it? Well, let's, let's scroll down. We'll go down to verse 18. Uh, ESV. Now, the birth of 
of Jesus Christ took place this way, in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Jewish New Testament. Here is how the birth of Yeshua the Messiah took place. When his mother Miriam was engaged to Yosef, before they were married, she was found to be pregnant from the Ruach HaKodesh. <laughs> now, right off the bat, like, whoa, that's two different worlds. But the fact is, the latter one reflects the world of that day. If you lived at that time, she was Miriam, he was Yosef, the, the, the baby was Yeshua. If you lived at that time. So now, okay, we're putting it to English, and it's coming to English through Greek. I understand that. But this is a way of saying, re- remember the Jewish roots of this. So, again, just look at names. Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 10, all right? Matthew 10 and verse 1. And he called to him, Jesus, he called him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Thaddeus, excuse me, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. All right? Now, we read from the Jewish New Testament. Yeshua called his 12 Talmudim disciples and gave them authority to drive out unclean spirits and to heal every kind of disease and weakness. But here's, here's what I want you to hear now. These are the names of the 12 emissaries. So emissaries as opposed to apostles. Uh, emissary, like apostle, means someone sent on a mission. But here they're called the 12 emissaries. You ready? First, Shimon called Kepha, and Andrew's brother, which is first Simon, who's called Peter, here first Shimon, who's called Kepha, and Andrew, his brother. Now next was James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Here we have Yaakov ben Zavdai and Yochanan, his brother. I'm just going to read this whole thing so you get the effect. First, Shimon called Kepha, and Andrew, his brother. Yaakov ben Zavdai and Yochanan, his brother. Philip and Bartalmai, Taoma and Matityahu the tax collector, Yaakov Barchalfai and Tadai, Shimon the zealot, and Yehuda from Kriot who betrayed him. There is debate about the meaning of Iscariot, but many scholars do believe it is Ish Kriot, a man from Kriot, from the village of Kriot. So Shimon the zealot and Yehuda, Judas, right? Yehuda from Kriot who betrayed him. So right there, just on the surface, you're struck again by how Jewish this is. You're struck once again to the people, the background, the places, that, that this is birthed in Jewish soil. Look, it would just be like if, if the gospel came today and Jesus came into America today, right? And so you've got President Trump and, and, and you've got, you know, sports stars, you know, whoever's the latest and best, you know, golfer and the latest and best basketball player and, and baseball player. And you've got your famous celebrities and all their names and, and everybody out there, right? And you've got cities like New York and, and Los Angeles and states like California and, and Texas. And so, right. And let's say Jesus came and he was a cowboy. He was, you know, he, he came in, in the 21st century and he was born in Dallas, Texas as a cowboy. And now, a thousand years later, I'm trying to translate that into to Hebrew so that people can kind of relate to it. So he's no longer a cowboy and, 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 and his name has changed and all this. And, 
and, and, and he's more of like a, you know, like a rabbi than a cowboy. What I'd be doing is I'd be taking away from the authenticity of, of who he was and, and the picture of it. So all these translations are trying to do, Tree of Life, Jewish New Testament, is to recapture what was normal then. No, we're not trying to read something in here. We're not trying to create something that didn't exist. What we're trying to do is, is go back and say, hey, because so much has been lost, because so much has been Gentilized, because so much has departed from the foundations of the faith and become so foreign and so different, you know, say Christmas and Easter instead of Passover, Hanukkah, whatever, that it's just good to go back and remember. Jesus, yes, the Savior of the whole world, a Jewish rabbi, not a reverend, will be right back. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, these guys, they are like clockwork playing our Jewish music, the second, third, and fourth segments of the show, and I often forget, jump right in. Welcome back to the Line of Fire, 866-348-7884. Any Jewish-related questions, sometimes on a Thursday, phone lines are jammed, always on Friday from the beginning of the show to the end, but we've got open phone lines. I will be taking calls, so this is a great time to call in okay and, and hang on i'm gonna look right in our camera here for those watching to all the critics the haters the bashers you have my open invitation to call and tell me why i'm so wrong i, I i'll give you an example of just oh what let's see um here's some recent comments to our video exposing rick wiles and true news for their anti-semitism now some of these we pulled because they're just inappropriate for public forum. But as long as people don't get totally crazy uh, and you know death wishes and all kinds of things, we, we just, whatever people post, we let it go. We let it go, all right? Uh, <laughs> here's the most recent one today. You're a traitor to this country, and if convicted, should be hung from the tallest oak tree in the U.S. That's what comes our way for exposing anti-Semitism in the church. How about this? You are fake and in the Jews' payroll. By the way, I'm still waiting for the money. If somebody, if I'm on the Jews' payroll, would you please get me the, the right account, okay? Get the money over here so we can use it to reach more Jews with the gospel because we're not getting it. I'm also a secret agent for Mossad, but somehow Mossad doesn't know that and they've never cut me a check. So, <clears throat> all right, in all seriousness, this guy actually posts this. You are fake and in the Jews' payroll the jews own the white house the media and america in general oh how about this one dr brown stop with the lies and deception the evidence is firmly against the israeli lies you push you should be honest with yourself your salvation depends on it i pray you decide to be honorable are you a willing dupe or are you compromised by sin are you in a mossad video library of blackmail this is the sickness that's out there friends this is the epidemic of spiritual blindness. This is, and friends, keep praying for us. We appreciate it because we need that shield around us because I get hit by this by the second, by the second. You know, earlier today, yesterday, 
I, I, I confronted a critic who has lied about us publicly. I confronted him public, uh, privately, as I had done previously. And he came back, you know, false prophet, you're devil, etc. And, of course, doesn't respond to the substance that I send. That's the level of junk that's out there. Some among believers who are deceived, some among people who don't know the Lord, I pray for all of them to truly come to know the Lord in the fullness of his, of his love and his goodness and his truth, truth. But trust me, friends, when you address the things we're addressing, you stir up a hornet's nest, a hornet's nest. Now, I'm going to come back to some thoughts about Jewish roots of the New Testament. But before I do that, let me just read a few quotes to you. These are in my, the new edition of Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, The Tragic Story of the Church and the Jewish People. Again, the book came out initially in 1992. It's been continuously in print since then. But finally, after almost 30 years, we've done a massive revision, update, expansion, so much new material in, in the book. Everyone who was blessed by the first edition will be more blessed, I believe, by the second expanded, revised edition. But uh, I'm going to read to you some quotes from my article that's online on the rising tide of, quote, Christian anti-Semitism. And again, this is all in my book and much, much more. So Tex Mars, some of you may know him. He became, he was better known some years ago when he he did this expose book about the the new age and things like that, but still known and and respected in some evangelical circles. Again, he's not a Catholic. He's he's not Greek Orthodox. He's, he's, He's an evangelical, okay? I'm not saying that's Good or bad, I'm just saying he's an evangelical like I am. He says this, of all the diseased schools of racial supremacism, I am convinced that the Jewish specimen is the most evil and most threatening to the lives, bodies, and eternal destinies of humankind. This is a professing Christian author, a reverend, a minister. He writes, Zionism has existed as a satanic ideological force in opposition to all things good and even to life itself for 3,000 years. He writes, Zionism and its accompanying religious disease, Judaism, are the champions of all time in terms of the total number of innocent men, women, and children being imprisoned in concentration camps, beaten, bludgeoned, raped, robbed, humiliated, and unmercifully slaughtered. That's some of the sickest stuff I've ever read in my life. It is from a contemporary Christian author who will preach salvation through Jesus, preach the authority of Scripture, and will agree with me, and I would agree with him on many of the social evils of the day, and yet that's what he's writing in book after book. And, okay, it's one thing for him to write it. It's a shocker for people to believe it. It's a shocker for people to follow it. That's, that's the real shocker. All right. Oh, how about this? Yes, yeah, so I mentioned when we, when we expose Rick Wiles and the lies of, of true news. It's so, such an irony to call it true news and to be so anti-Semitic and to, and to so misreport when it comes to Israel and the Jews. You know, things like ISIS didn't exist. It was an Israeli operation, you know, crazy stuff like that. And again, those of you who don't know, we reached out to him. We said, I'll come on your show. You come on my show. I'll have a public debate. No, 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 no. Initially, they're like, yeah, Dr. Brown, sure, come on our show, etc. And And then I said, okay, great. I'll, I'll do it, but will Rick Wiles come on my show? Never heard back. Well, give us time. Never heard back. Never heard back. This way, we both control the mic in one show. And, and, and then when they got ugly and ugly, I said, tell you what, 
I'll just come on. I want to confront your anti-Semitism. As long as you give me equal time to respond to your panel and you air things unedited, I'll just come on your show. You don't have to come on mine. No, no. I'll tell you what, let's have a public, moderated, formal debate. You're making some very serious, ugly charges. No. So friends, we want to bring it all to the light. I got nothing to hide. I got nothing to hide. I work for the Lord, all right? I'm on the Lord's payroll in that sense, in that my, my pay is the smile of God. My, my, my pay is to honor God. And one day, and I hope it's your goal too, and I, I, I actually believe it's Rick Wiles' goal too, and Tex Mars' goal too, but they're just misled here that one day they want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, at least that's my hope, that that's their heart. But, but, if I'm going to judge, I'm going to judge positively and, and hope for the best. But here's what he said. Our culture has been decimated through abortion, pornography, the sexual liberation movement, filthy, raunchy movies and television shows, vile, violent rap music and hip-hop, and all of it owned by the synagogue of Satan. So he's saying non-believing Jews own it all. Did you know that non-believing Jews own all of violent rap music and hip-hop? Did you know that? Were you aware of that? I wasn't. That the sexual liberation movement with men like Hugh Hefner and before him Alfred Kinsey, who weren't Jewish, and Hustler, uh, publisher of fame, Larry Flint, all these others who weren't Jewish, that this all Jewish-led? I didn't know that. He wrote this. I cannot be a preacher of the gospel and not confront the synagogue of Satan, even if it cost me my life. So now he's positioned himself as the martyr. Someone's going to try to take him out for this. A day is coming when Christians are going to lose their lives as they confront the synagogue of Satan. You cannot stand for Jesus Christ and righteousness in this world without confronting the synagogue of Satan. Let me say this. You cannot stand for Jesus Christ and righteousness without confronting Satan. And to the extent Rick Wiles or me or you, to the extent any of us confront Righteousness, speak the truth. Stand for Jesus. So speak for righteousness. Confront evil. Stand for Jesus. To that extent, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come in conflict with Satan. Yep, and Jews living in Israel, Messianic Jews, as they preach Jesus, especially on the religious, yeah, they'll come in conflict with religious Jews in their country. Absolutely. But the ones who are beheading Christians around the world are not Jews. They're radical Muslims. And the ones who are attacking Christians in India are, are, are not Jews. They're radical Hindus. And the ones who are heavily persecuting Christians in China are not Jews. They are radical communists. So friends, let's wake up to reality. Let's not create these myths. This is the type of stuff. Hear me, friends. This is the type of stuff that leads to bloodshed. Again, I, my hope for all the people that I'm mentioning, and again, I've, I've reached out to them. I've gone back and forth. They've, they have... They've put their, they keep putting out more and more and more material, so I'm going to keep addressing the material because it's dangerous and it's vile. But we've reached out privately every way we know how. Uh, Catholic scholar E. Michael Jones, after having him on my show, and he takes exception to the fact that I say his views are anti-Semitic, I said, sir, I've written to him privately. Let's have a public debate, moderated debate, on whether your views are anti-Semitic or not. Are they right? Are they truthful? Are they fair? Uh, or are they demonizing a people? Are, are they putting forth exaggerated statements about a people? But for all of them, I, I hope that their motivation, they think they're doing the right thing. I, I hope. Again, if I'm going to make a judgment, I'm going to hope for the best and be naive. But what they're saying is evil. What they're saying is destructive. What they're saying must be confronted. E. Michael Jones, quote, 
Jews are never content to integrate themselves into existing structures, whether those structures are states, universities, art museums, or the military. They feel compelled to infiltrate and subvert the institutions with it, which admit them as members. If the church wants to have its history back, he writes, then it will have to contend with the Jews once again as the apostles and the church fathers did 2,000 years ago. I wonder what it means, Dr. Jones, to, quote, contend with the Jews. I wonder what some fanatical listeners and viewers might take that to mean. Dangerous rhetoric, especially in the climate in which we live today with so much misreporting and so much slanderous reporting going forth. So, friends, I'm going to warn as loudly and clearly as I can. We will be right back. Everybody watching on Facebook, stay right there because uh, I'm going to keep talking to you right through the break. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome welcome back, friends, to the Line of Fire. So good to be with each of you. 866-348-7884 is the number to call. Okay. Even though this is, is not uh, directly related to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, since I have been asked about this, and a lot of people have sent me links, Benny Hinn video, Benny Hinn article, about renouncing prosperity gospel theology and renouncing the, you know, sow a seed here and you get your big reward back kind of thing. Uh, obviously, we all believe that Ultimately, in God's kingdom, we reap what we sow. Ultimately, we all believe that in this world or the world to come, that there's a sowing and reaping aside from, uh, aside from things that God's forgiven and dealt with. But we, we understand that, that, that the stingy and those who hold back uh, ultimately don't see the, the fullness of blessing coming in their way so that they can bless and help others. But anyway, he put out uh, a statement, and everyone's asked me if I've seen it. It's a very strong repudiation. And he said he's hesitated to... To say, to, to say it because of others of his friends that still hold to this, but he's got to come out, you know, because he wants to be stand before God one day and get the thumbs up. So uh, back in 2003, he very clearly renounced the prosperity gospel. He very clearly spoke against it and said it was wrong and said he was wrong to think that, that you know, Jesus suffered, you know, some word of faith theology that Jesus suffered in hell and and, and after the cross and, and etc., and said, no, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say to be continued. So he made a strong statement back in 2003. And, and then uh, when I was on his TV show back in, was it 2014? Afterwards, I wrote to him. I wrote to him the next year. And I made a strong appeal to him to renounce the carnal fundraising and, and things like that. Never heard back from him, but, but I made a strong appeal to him to fix things and do things right, etc. And um, anyway, whatever the history, in other words, why he said things years ago and now is saying them even more strongly now, along with repudiating some of the carnal fundraising and said, I'm not going to be the right one to be on a Christian telethon for fundraising because I can't do these things. That's good news. 
That's good news. Now, some say it's just because his nephew's coming out with a book attacking him and so on and, 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 and attacking the prosperity message, etc. And I, I appreciate his nephew Costi's sincerity. We've interacted. I, I believe him to be a sincere young man. And, and obviously, I, I share with him many of his theological concerns. Uh, but someone else said, no, no. Benny Hinn has been meeting with the Lord, and God's been dealing with him, and this has nothing to do with critics. This has nothing to do with anyone else. God knows. God knows. Here's what I say is, all those who criticized him for the wrong theology and for the carnal fundraising should now be saying amen instead of questioning and being skeptical. All right, with, with anybody, with, listen, with anybody that you differ with, if, if they are in what you understand to be some error, and then after that they say, I repudiate this error, say, that's wonderful, that's good. Don't question the motive behind it. Don't, don't just say, that's good, that's good news. I appreciate it. All right, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Now, here's a related question, though. Here's a related question. How do we get from Old Testament theology to New Testament theology? Meaning, didn't God tell Israel that if you'll honor, obey, you'll be the head and not the tail? Didn't God tell Israel that he would prosper financially as they honored him, that he'd bless them not just with being strong militarily, but being strong financially? And uh, doesn't it say in Proverbs that he gives riches, and it's talking about earthly riches as well, to those who honor him and seek him? Aren't those things there in the Old Testament? Does the New Testament now reverse that? Does the New Testament say, well, if, if the poorer you are, the more blessed you are, and the rich you are, the more cursed you are? Is that how it is in the New Testament, that riches under the Old Testament was a blessing, but now in the New Testament it's a curse, and, and poverty in the New Testament, in the Old Testament was a curse, but now it's a blessing. Is that how it works? No, I don't, I don't see it like that at all. I see that the same principles apply in the New Testament, that we reap what we sow, that those who sow sparingly reap sparingly, those who sow generously reap sparingly. Paul writes that in the context of giving financially to the Corinthians. And... There are many promises in the New Testament. Paul, writing from jail in Philippi, thanking those who supported him and helped him financially, but then saying, then saying that, that as they give, God will bless them out of his abundant riches. The difference is that we have repudiated the power of the things of this age. That whether we have a nice house or a nice car, or, or whether we, we live in a, in a tent in the desert, that our heart, our treasures are not in earthly things. Our treasures are in heavenly things. And our goal in giving is to be a blessing, not to receive. Our goal in giving is to honor God and help others. Here we are at a big conference in Pensacola last night. And to put the entire conference on, to rent the base center which seats eight 9,000 people, to and then have setups for overflow to bring whole teams in you've got uh, worship teams and the entire videography that has to take place to do a live stream on god tv and then in addition to that in addition to that to uh, to bring all the speakers in 
and then other teams that are serving it's it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to do something like this it's it's a big production you can only imagine you pull up to the facility it's like how do you even get in and where is this and that it's just it's, it's a big deal to put all this together people flying in hotel rooms on and on so what did Daniel Kalenda do last night for the opening meeting? He said, you know, we, we have to raise about a half million dollars to cover all the expenses of putting this together. It's multi-day meeting and, and many, many other things, factors involved. He said, but people in the Bahamas have been devastated. People in the Bahamas have been devastated. So we're going to receive an offering tonight. Every dime of it is going to go to Operation Blessing to pour into relief for people in the Bahamas. That's God's heart. And no one was, nobody was told, if you give, you're going to get a financial reward. Nobody was told that. Nobody, look, I do believe that as you honor God and you're generous, that, that God pours out generosity back towards you in many, many different ways. And that there's nothing wrong with it. Paul says, I know what it is to have a lot. I know what it is to have a little. All right? I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to be content whatever state I find myself in. All right? So we are not looking for an earthly setting where God makes us the earthly head because we have more money than others or we're militarily stronger than others, okay? We're talking about the, the church, the people of God here, all right? But we are generous because it honors the Lord and it, it meets needs, and that was, that was Daniel's heart last night. And I, I said to myself, in putting others first, putting the needs of, the, of those who have been displaced and the families of those who have lost loved ones and others who've been injured, and all the rebuilding that has to happen. In, in meeting that need first, God will honor and, and bless. <clears throat> so we have a different viewpoint, a different mentality. And even when you read Proverbs, as much as there's promises of, of earthly blessing, those promises also tie in with godly behavior. In other words, does it remain true in the New Testament that someone who's hardworking will do better on his or her job than a sluggard? Yes. Does it remain true in the New Testament that, that someone who is diligent and that someone that does their best to do their work with excellence will be more blessed financially on average overall than the person who's sloppy and careless? Yes, of course. All right. Does it apply in the New Testament just the same that the person who is generous will be entrusted by God with more so they can be generous to others? Yes. But the prosperity gospel said that the proof of your spirituality is financial riches. The prosperity gospel says Jesus died to make you financially rich. The prosperity gospel looks at financial blessing as a result of the blood of Jesus. And, and these are the things that are so, so wrong. It, it even tells you to pursue riches as somehow a godly thing. I, I have friends of mine who are businessmen, and they are doing their best to get their businesses to prosper more and more. And they are doing their best to bring in as much money as they can through their business. But the goal is not so that they can get personally rich. The goal is so that they can see kingdom purposes advanced through their business and they can have more funds to help more people. And they get blessed in the process, fine. But that's not the motivation. And with the prosperity gospel, all of the corrupt uh, fundraising elements. I wrote about them very, very strongly for years, for years, going back to 1989, 1990. And, and then most recently in Playing with Holy Fire, which came out last year, uh, the, all the carnal fundraising techniques. I mean, I, I, I share actual emails I got from, from people just using the word of God in corrupt ways to get you to give. 
that's that's been abhorrent in God's sight for years. So Benny Hinn, in certain circles, carries a lot of weight. I'm I'm glad that he has publicly renounced this, and and may he have the strength to keep moving forward with doing what's right. Eight six six three four truth. Let's go to Birmingham, Alabama. Courtney, welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. I appreciate you taking my call again. You're very welcome. Um, I have a question. So I have um, a rather interesting Bible study that I've had a, a Jewish man become interested in, but he cannot read very well uh, in English, and I can't translate into modern Hebrew. And so I was wondering if you maybe knew of a good um I don't know, a translator, someone I could hire, what the going rate is, and how to go about getting something like that published when it contains uh, pictures from the Dead Sea Scrolls and other things like that. I've reached out, but I can't seem to get anyone to email me back. And with you being an author and knowing biblical Hebrew, I figured you might be the best person to ask. All right, so just to be sure, what exactly are you looking for a translator to do? I'm not sure I, I fully understand. Basically, um, to translate my study, uh, which ultimately proves that, in my humble opinion, that Yeshua is the Messiah, um, and just to translate it without bias, um, and to translate it basically as I wrote it. Um, you yeah, know, and, and it how, how long is it? Readable. Uh, <laughs> it's a rather large study. I've spent the last two years of my life um, developing it. All right, t- tell you what, I mean, there are, you can go online and type in Hebrew translation services, but um, Danny will give you info. You can write to us and we will refer it to a Hebrew translator. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Remember, there's still time to sign up for our Israel tour. May 2020. All right, so that's, what, eight months off? But it's going to be here before you know it. We basically got one bus filled. We're only filling two. And that's it. That's it. So go to my website, askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org. It really is the tour of a lifetime. We, you get the best of a fabulous tour guide during the day. And, and, and the Bible will come alive in ways you cannot imagine. That's why so many millions of people go to the land every year. All right. Then I'll be there at key sites to do teaching like Mount Carmel, to talk about Elijah calling on fire from ever to look out on Armageddon and talk about what's coming, yeah. Or, or do baptisms at the River Jordan. It's, you know, when I was asked to do that the first trip, I thought, that's hokey. I don't know if I want to do that. But agreed to, and they've been, they've been sacred. They've been beautiful and, and, and sacred and, and, uh, and special. So, you know, that's, that's something. And, and, then, and then every night... Every night, what happens is, is that uh, I will be doing teaching every night or live radio shows or uh, Q&A. 
So you get the bet and having dinner with you folks every night. And it's, it's only like 100 people. So it's, it's intimate. Uh, and I just got to write a note to the studio here. And there we go. All right. Just take me. There we go. All right. So this multitasking here. So join us. Find out more at AskDrBrown, AskDRBrown.org. All of the information is there. AskDrBrown.org. Okay. Uh, our Hands Are Stained With Blood it comes out, I think, in 12 days officially, but we have it in stock already in our office. Beautiful new cover. Expanded, updated edition. If you'd like to get a signed numbered copy, we're still doing that. We're still doing that. So just order through our website, askdrbrown.org, or if you want to order on Amazon or wherever, Christian Book, wherever you get your books, you can pre-order it there. But we already have them ready to ship, and we're still taking orders for numbered uh, pre-ordered signed copies. Okay, 866-34-TRUTH. One, one other little example of, of Jewish background to the New Testament. Uh, let's just see here. Oh, let's look at the healing of the woman with the issue of blood, all right? So in Matthew chapter 8 in the ESV, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years, she comes uh, up behind Jesus and she touches the fringe of her garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. All right. Now, I'm just going to look. That's Matthew chapter 9, verse 21. And I'm just going to look at it in a bunch of different translations. Matthew 9, 21. All right. And uh, so 9, 20, she wants to touch the hem of his garment. She said, if I can just touch his garment then I'll be healed, all right? So look at 920. That's King James, touch the hem of his garment. New King James, the hem of his garment. ESV, the for all fringe of his garment. Look at that. NIV, touch the edge of his cloak. Hmm. What does it say in, in the TLV? Touch the seat seat of his garment. What? Okay, this is what's happening. Yeshua, as a... Torah observant Jew, not following all the rabbinic traditions. Some he did, but some he strongly, strongly, strongly opposed. All right. But as a traditional uh, Torah observant, excuse me, as a Torah observant Jew, he would have the ritual friend called the tzitzit from the four corners of his garment, that, that blue, purplish, called techelet, that color. Right. He would, he would have that. And that's the furthest, most extremity. Some claim that it was associated with miraculous healing, but that's very, very difficult to support, all right? And, and a verse in Malachi, really difficult to bring that in to support this. But for sure, that's the most, it's, if I can even just touch that, the, the fringe, the, the seat seat of his garment. Now, when you read that, you realize, whoa, that's, he's a first century Torah observant Jew, and that's how he dressed, in other words, it wasn't like wearing a, 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 a clerical collar, okay? Or he didn't have like, you know, the, the way the monks would shave their head in the middle. He didn't, didn't have that. He, he wasn't wearing the saffron garments of a, of a Hindu priest and, you know, with a, with a the mark on his forehead. He wasn't, wasn't doing any of that, okay? He was dressed as a first century Torah observant Jew. Because that's who he was. That's who he was. And she said, if I, if I just reach that. Now, the fringe, that's okay in English. The fringe of his garment, that conveys... 
but even stronger, the tzitzit of his garment. If I just touch that, I'll be made whole. When you read the edge of his cloak, it's like, what? What's that? Or the hem of his garment. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, the same Greek word that's used there, crospedon, to translate, uh, it, 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 to, to explain this here in Matthew and elsewhere in the Gospels, it means ritual fringe in the Old Testament. Oh, it can mean hem, but that's the word that's used for the ritual fringe in the Old Testament. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Ron in Ogden, Utah. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, I got a question for you. Um, Go for it. Are you familiar with uh, Rabbi Tovia Singer? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, of course. Counter-missionary rabbi who's refused to debate me for well over 25 years now and has posted false narratives online and is a counter-missionary that we've opposed and exposed for many, many years. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, very good. Uh, Yeah, and and I say, uh, the reason I said it so strongly is because some years ago he changed his tactics and instead of just uh, trying to help Jewish people that he felt were in error and believed in Jesus or had gone the way of cults to try to talk them out of it, he's now just gone after Christians in general and, and anyone who believes in the New Testament in general. So I have to warn against him by name in very, very strong terms. Yes, sir. Yes, well, I've just become acquainted with him as uh, uh, a, 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 a beloved ministry member uh, has, has left the Christian faith and become uh, an adherent to Judaism because I think in part of this man's ministry, if you could, I want him not, to It's not a ministry. Right? Yeah, it's, it's not a ministry. Yeah, his work that he does against the Church. So the question that I have before you is, he, uh, he challenges the New Testament frequently on the way it quotes the Old Testament, that it is not a word-for-word translation, and he accuses that whoever, you know, he accuses that whoever these authors are, they are shoehorning these texts to make Jesus look like the Messiah. How do you answer that? Well, we've answered him for over 30 years in a hundred different ways. Uh, first, first thing is, he knows better. In other words, he knows that in many cases, the New Testament authors are simply quoting from the Jewish translation of the day, the Septuagint. He also knows that the Targums, the Aramaic translations, often are paraphrastic to get a meaning out. And he also understands that rabbinic exegesis of the text, even when it quotes them accurately, turns the meaning in a thousand different ways according to the context. So the New Testament authors are actually more sober than, say, the Dead Sea Scroll authors, the way they quote the New Testament. They are more sober than the rabbinic authors, the way they quote uh, uh, quote the Old Testament. If I said no, I meant Old Testament. Um, so it's thoroughly in keeping with first century Jewish interpretation of Scripture. The, sometimes what they quote is similar to the Targumic understanding, the Aramaic uh, Jewish paraphrase. Sometimes, many times, it's a direct quotation of the Septuagint. He'll claim the Septuagint that was used then was, it was all Christian. That's, of course, flatly denied by, by top Septuagint scholars uh, worldwide. But again, he's going to use these arguments because he knows most of his listeners don't know the responses. That's another reason why, why he's refused to debate me since our early debates over 25 years ago. For more information, right, if you, if you want to dig in and really help someone, I address that in yeah. detail in Volume 4 of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. In detail, uh, we, we, we address that. Uh, we, we also have many videos on our YouTube channel that you can go through answering Jewish objections to Jesus that deal with this. Mm -hmm. I have a 22-hour 
a 22-hour video series called Countering the Counter-Missionaries that in particular demolishes his material. 22-hour DVD or, uh, or a video series that can be downloaded together with a 300-page study guide that uh, demolishes <laughs> these things. So that you can order, and, and it's priced inexpensively as well. AskDrBrown.org, the counter-missionary uh, uh, series with study guide. You can just get volume four of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, where we specifically tackle objections based on the New Testament and show the the uh, hypocrisy of, of folks like counter-missionary Toby Singer, who will then, what they will then do is, is they will justify their use of Scripture in Talmud and rabbinic literature, which they know is, is far more flexible than the New Testament usage. In other words, unequal weights and unequal measures, which we've confronted many times. Also, here's one other place simple to go to. Jot it down, realmessiah.com, realmessiah.com. And you just look at the menu. We have to fill in a few things on the site, but look at the menu for objections. And then just scroll down. You'll find New Testament objections. So summaries of everything that's in my five-volume series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. And if you run into specific questions and you're trying to help your friend and wake them up, obviously prayer is the best thing for them. If they had a real relationship with the Lord, uh, they've exchanged it for something else here. So praying for them is important. But if you have specific questions and they're genuinely open to hear or you just need answers, write to us. We have a staff member, a PhD, fluent in, PhD in Old Testament, fluent in Russian, Hebrew, and English, and he's happy to help answer your questions if this will help your friend. Just write to our website, askdrbrown.org. We're out of time. Come with all your questions. Be Jewish questions as well tomorrow. In fact, JB, we'll put you at the top of the list when you call tomorrow. You've got questions. We've got answers.